Welcome to the EggerSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. So it's my privilege to introduce to you today my colleague, Nisha Rose Davison. Nisha is our public health program director here at EggerSafe. She has 12 years, over 12 years of public health experience in maternal child health, health disparities, and health education. Nisha is passionate about serving vulnerable populations and ensuring health access and equity. Nisha's educational portfolio includes a bachelor's of science degree in biological sciences with a minor in chemistry, as well as a master's of public health with an emphasis in health promotion. She completed a certificate in agricultural medicine focusing on rural occupational and environmental health and safety. Uh, Nisha is a member of the American Public Health Association and serves in leadership in the Louisiana Public Health Association as well. Thank you very much for being here with us today, Nisha. All right. So again, welcome. We are very excited to talk about this topic, zoonotic disease and pregnancy. Um, as Stacy mentioned, this had been a journey. Uh, a few years ago, we started looking at issues specific to women who work in agriculture and reproductive health was one topic I was very excited to uh, dive into. And so we have a number of things to go over, so I'll jump right in. Um, we want to first acknowledge our funder, um, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and the Department of Labor. Um, they did uh, fund this program, but this does not um, uh, comply with any endorsements from the US government. You've also seen this slide, and so I wanna welcome you if this is the first time attending an AgriSafe um, presentation. Uh, this is our tagline, protecting the people who feed the world. So people who create our food, fuel, and fiber, we really work to um, keep them safe and get that information about health and safety in the hands of rural health providers, um, as well as the producers and maybe the employers themselves. Um, we do this through four distinct ways. Um, we are constantly doing uh, needs assessments um, to assess producer needs. So like when COVID happened, we looked at doing a series, what ag producers need to know. Um, we train rural health professionals across the nation on um, working with uh, populations specifically in ag for their occupational risk. Um, and we do that through establishing partnerships. So we work with um, NIOSH Ag Centers, Rural Research Centers, and other nonprofits to actually get this information out to you all. And then we always maintain a culture of readiness um, to protect and respond. So. We're very excited to be able to, to use those uh, relationships to bring you this uh, messaging today. And here is our list of objectives. As my pastor says, we have a lot to go through and a short time to get there. So we're gonna jump right in. Um, so we have, uh, we're going to define zoonotic disease. Um, thank you all for taking those polling questions. So I will cover that content um, because you will see that again in a post-evaluation. So we're going to define zoonotic disease and um, its modes of transmission. We're going to identify probably more like a minimum of six and maybe mention a couple more of significant zoonotic diseases affecting production ag populations, particularly looking at women. Uh, we're going to discuss warning signs and symptoms of major zoonotic disease. And then we're going to locate a minimum of three recommended educational resources that we will share with um, so you can actually have those resources uh, for uh, your reference. And so why are we looking at issues affecting women in ag? So according to the 2017 Census on Ag, um, Agriculture, I believe the current census for 2020 is underway now or 2022, I'm sorry, but we saw a major jump in the female population of producers. It went from about 970,000 women in 2012 to about 1.2 million. Um, so an increase of about 27%. And we felt that that was really significant um, because training typically comes from a male dominated perspective. And we really wanted to give voice to a lot of those women who are stepping up to being counted as ag producers who are doing a, a number of those activities on those operations. And we see that um, about 65% of the male population and about half, a little over half of the female population are actually working actively with livestock. So we felt like this topic was very um, significant. Um, here is a, a statement of prevalence um, from the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. And what we saw um, in this short list is that a range of farm activities 
compound the problem of assuring a safe work site for farm women who have their own inherent uh, inherit contraindications. And I just highlighted because we're jumping right into pregnancy related risk and there are others so acute and chronic pesticide exposure, chronic bronchitis among non smoking farm women, um, farm work related injuries, exposures to inhaled substances in the workplace, and then just risk factors of, in, of female infertility in an ag region. Um, and so we know that it's, it's common enough to be noted um, as an occupational hazard. And um, that's why we wanted to really delve into reproductive health topics. Um, also, just to give a little background, um, AgriSafe has what we call the total farmer health um, kind of philosophy, if you will, that really guides our work for protecting the people who feed the world. And really total farmer health um, is, is many things. And this, this shows you some of the modules or some of the indicators that we count. We look at your level of fitness, your access to healthcare, how does severe weather impact your operation? Um, that could lead to different stresses financially. Um, how does you know, sleep impact your overall health? And we know that there are times during harvest and sometimes planting season that our ag producers are just not quite getting enough sleep. Um, cognition and mental health, um, some of the standard hazards, large machinery, livestock are things that we kind of commonly consider uh, when talking about ag, but we wanted to say that all of these components play a role when it comes to health of someone who's working in ag. Um, our work has been recognized by um, NIOSH and their Total Worker Health Affiliate Program. And so we have a, a lot of programming and a lot of webinars kind of um, take root under this, this banner here, Total Farmer Health. Um, also to guide today's conversation is One Health. Um, One Health really looks at protect uh, people who protect human, animal, environmental health, as well as other partners, and they do that through coordinating, communicating, and collaborating with one another. So anything zoonotic we have seen, even through this pandemic, that it matters that our health providers are talking to our veterinarians, um, and we're knowing that's what's going on with each one of these, as well as what's happening in the environment and how that could impact human health. So the goal with One Health is to achieve the best health outcomes for people, animals, plants, and our environment. So it's kind of bringing together a, a transdisciplinary or interdisciplinary team that really looks at these things holistically. And so we wanted to start our conversation on zoonotic health with One Health as to why that's important. So what is zoonotic disease? This was on your pretest. Um, so zoonotic disease, um, also called zoonosis when we're talking about a, a collective set, are caused by germs that spread between animals and people. Um, and these are, are carried through, I call them germ hosts or zoonotic agents. It could be bacterial, viral, fungal, or parasitic. And we're going to talk about a number of these um, in this uh, reproductive health webinar. So just know zoonotic disease are germs that spread between animals and people. So it's very important that we're looking at this issue. Um, also, I think we talked about some statistics in uh, one of those polling questions. And I think it's important to know that uh, at least 61% of all human pathogens are zoonotic in nature. And about 75% of those are all emerging path, uh, pathogens that have been discovered in the past decade. So um, we know that it's, it's very significant with 75% being emerging um, for human disease. I just wanted to kind of point that out that that's something we should definitely be paying attention to. So what are some of the ways that women work with animals in agriculture? Um, this is a short list. Um, we know that women have been here and helping with livestock in one way or another. And sometimes that's in, involving um, some of these activities we'll, we'll get into. But I think it's important to just note that women have been there. Um, women and men are built differently. Um, and some, some uh, working with some animals during certain times could post a, a, a significant threat to your health. Um, so it's important to kind of note that um, historically and moving forward. 
I also wanted to mention that pregnancy changes your immune system. So I am not an immunologist, if you will, and that was not a course I liked very much when I had to take it. But this uh, journal article that I'm referring talked about emerging infections in pregnancy, and it's just something significant enough to mention. Um, so when we're talking about emerging infections, especially with zoonotic disease, it's important to consider special populations like pregnant women. Um, in order for a pregnancy to be successful, a woman's immune system has to tolerate a genetically foreign fetus. So even though it's a part of you and your uh, spouse, partner, if you will, um, it's, it's different to the body. And so things have to change within your immune system to allow that to grow successfully. Um, these immuno immunologic changes may alter susceptibility and severity of infectious disease. So if you think about things um, like the flu, um, uh, other conditions that you, you might be um, a little more tolerant to because of your pending pregnancy. Um, and so it's just something to consider. And before we kind of got into the deep uh, topic of zoonotic disease and um, all of that. I just wanted to kind of mention that pregnancy does change the state of your immune system. So it's something of special consideration when we're talking about zoonotic diseases. So here's our target list of zoonotic disease. We're going to talk about um, brucellosis, uh, chlamydiosis, leptospirosis, listerosis, Q fever, as well as toxoplasmosis. So the joint share of these are bacterial. Um, remember I was talking about germ hosts or zoonotic agents that are carrying the disease. Um, the number, the joint share of these today we're talking about are bacterial in nature. So you will see some similarities. And I just wanted to kind of point that out that different um, zoonotic diseases have different germ hosts. So we're going to just dig right in. We're going to start with brucellosis. I tried to do this in alphabetical order. I hope I was successful there. <laughs> um, so what we know about this is, again, it's bacterial in nature. It's, um, it was a disease that has worldwide distribution. And just an interesting fact I wanted to point out, it had been recognized as a reproductive disease in animals about 130 years ago but it really was neglected as a reproductive risk for humans. Although back in 1908, there was a case where a farmer's wife actually had signs of brucellosis and, and got sick. And I believe a pregnancy um, was aborted due to um, some exposures, but it just really in, in literature and journal articles, it's not highly noted um, as a reproductive disease in humans. And I found that very interesting because of the reproductive risk. So we know that this is pathogenic and very virulent, not only for target species, but also for humans. Again, it was known as a reproductive disease in humans over a hundred years ago. So we're just kind of catching up that this is an issue for humans. Um, so the brucella species uh, is found in goats and sheep and pig and cattle and also in canines. Um, and so we kind of, in some of these, each of these, I hope to have labeled and identify what are the potential hosts. Um, I also want to talk about exposure. So some of these are related to foodborne illness um, through exposure through things like unpasteurized milk or dairy products, or exposure to infected body fluids and tissues, mainly placenta from infected animals. And why is this significant for human uh, health? Because of uh, maternal infection is possible where miscarriage during the first and second trimester of gestation, it could also lead to preterm uh, delivery. And if mother um, is infected, it can also have uh, uh, vertical transmission to the fetus. And what I mean by vertical transmission, have it here in my notes, trying to scroll down. Um, that's just the passage of disease causing agent from mother to baby during the period immediately before or after birth transmission might occur across the placenta and the breast milk or through direct contact during or after birth. Um, so it's just extremely, um, extremely again, pathogenic and virulent and has been known to cause um, disease in animals, but also there is significant maternal risk. So we definitely wanted to talk about it. Um, most commonly uh, associated with this is miscarriage, as I mentioned, during the first and second trimester before 
um, I believe up to before uh, 24 weeks of pregnancy, and then also um, preterm delivery, which is delivery any time before 37 weeks gestation. So these are all um, significant causes for reproductive health. Um, so occupational risk. We know people in certain occupations or settings may face increased exposure to bacteria that cause brucellosis. So I pulled a lot of information from the CDC's website, as well as some um, journal articles. And I put farmers, and I should have put ranchers and anyone dealing with livestock or animal husbandry in any way. I just added that to the list because it wasn't on the short list for our um, CDC page. But again, we're talking to an audience of those who, who deal and work closely with agriculture. So I wanted to put that on the list so we're not overlooking it. Um, but they did mention things like slaughterhouse workers, meatpacking employees, veterinarians and laboratory workers. But we know um, you all working with livestock, working um, on farm, dealing with animals, um, you would have that occupational risk as well. So that's why that's um, kind of italicized in red. Now, what are some of the signs and symptoms? So as I mentioned with a number of these bacterial diseases, they have flu-like symptoms and they are very, um, could be very mild. It could be short, long, and it could even be recurrent. Um, so things like fever, sweats, malaise, uh, anorexia, headaches, um, stiffness and pains in joints, muscles and back, fatigue, recurrent fevers, arthritis, um, and this is even talking about um, male um, reproductive organs, swelling of testicle and scrotum, um, swelling of the heart could lead to major things like endocarditis. Um, there's neurological uh, symptoms in up to 5% of cases, chronic fatigue, depression, um, swelling of even liver and, and spleen. So this is an exhaustive list, if you will, of some of the signs and symptoms, but they typically start as kind of flu-like in the sense with some of the arthritic kind of achiness, fever, sweats, things like that. Um, depending on the time for incubation, which we do have a resource that mentions some of that, you may not associate it with um, exposure to Brucella. So what does treatment look like? Um, if you were to come in contact with an animal or any of their fluids that may have been infected by um, uh, Brucella uh, bacteria, uh, you must have a, a diagnosis. So Infection must be, uh, diagnosis must be made by a doctor first. So how do they do that? They would take tests, which would look at bacteria and samples of blood, bone marrow, and other bodily fluids. Um, blood tests uh, could be performed to detect antibodies. So hopefully um, we could get that diagnosed soon. And once a diagnosis is made, it's prescribed antibiotics. Um, generally, the, the antibiotics are doxocycline or rifampirin, if I'm saying those properly, and they're recommended in a combination of a minimum of six to eight weeks, um, but there are special considerations if you're pregnant, allergic to either of those, or suffer a reduced or absent immune response or immunosuppressed. Um, so depending on the time of timing of treatment, how early you catch and diagnose that um, and severity of illness that you've experienced, recovery could take up to a few weeks, up to several months. Um, death from brucellosis is rare and it occurs in no more than 2% of all cases. Um, so this is pulled directly from the CDC website about um, diagnosis and treatment and the type of antibiotics that would be treated for that condition. Um, here, prevention, again, from the CDC is mostly talking about food-based exposure. So um, this talks about prevention of infection from undercooked meat, unpasteurized dairy products, including milk, cheese, and ice cream. However, we're talking about occupational exposures, even though you could get exposures from you know, undercooked meat and unpasteurized um, dairy products, um, we're really thinking about exposures from um, working with animal tissues. Uh, so if you're helping during the birthing process of working with livestock or assisting a veterinarian or just in close um, contact with livestock during those periods of time, uh, we would want you to know that you should protect yourself by using personal protective equipment such as rubber gloves, goggles, gowns or aprons, even things that could be splash proof, so maybe rubber or some other um, thing that doesn't saturate your clothing. Uh, you would also want to wear proper eye protection, as repeated to mention rubber latex gloves, disposable or reusable, 
when working with those animals. Uh, you want to avoid direct contact with the fluid or organs from any animal um, because you could have minor cuts and things that could still um, lead to infection. And then washing hands, we we're going to mention that a thousand times. As soon as possible, it's soap and water for at least 20 seconds or more. We've heard that all throughout the pandemic. Um, and then dry hands with a clean cloth. So if it's at all possible when you're working with animals not to reuse a, a rag or something that's laying around, if you have access to a clean cloth or better yet, something you can dispose of uh, once you dry your hands, that would be best. Um, and then you also want to clean all your tools or reusable gloves with a disinfectant like dilute bleach and make sure that you're following the safety instructions for the product um, by reading that label. So this you're going to see again and again and again. Go ahead and memorize it because it's just super important. Um, and oftentimes we're, you know, in a farm operation, you're doing multiple things going from this area to that area and you might be called because God forbid there's an emergency. Um, and you just want to try to have the things that you need in the places that you could quickly access them and utilize them um, for your safety. So we're moving down the list. Uh, chlamydiosis. Um, this was kind of hard. I couldn't find a lot of information about this, um, but it's, it's, it's significant. Again, if you're working with animals and livestock, um, this is a risk for, for reproductive health. So this is caused by the bacteria uh, chlamydophila, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, this bacteria can cause certain things like respiratory disease, eye infections, and abortions in animals, and sometimes in humans. So that's why I said it's important we wanted to put it on the list. It has been found worldwide. Um, what are the host carriers? So we're talking about sheeps, sheeps, I'm sorry, goats and cats are most commonly affected. Um, exposure, how do you get exposed to this? It's most likely to occur by ingestion of unwashed hands after contact with an ill animal. Um, it could also be aerosolized, um, so contaminated dust or splash from infected animal tissues um, that you could actually breathe in or direct contact with mu mucous membranes, such as touching your eye with contaminated hands. Um, exposure for pregnant women, sh uh, pregnant women should avoid contact with pregnant or aborting sheep or goats. Um, if, if you can eliminate the risk altogether, that would be best, but sometimes that's just not a, a, re a reasonable uh, reassignment if it's a, a small operation. Uh, Animal-associated uh, chlamydiosis in humans can cause, again, flu-like symptoms, so fever, body aches, headaches, retin eyes, and even pneumonia. Um, in severe cases, infection of the heart or kidney can occur. Um, and then pregnant women who become affected can abort their baby. And so I wasn't able to find a whole lot, but it's worth mentioning. Um, and I wanted to make sure that we saw this as kind of a, um, an offender in this space when it comes to reproductive health. So talking about prevention and protection, uh, the bacteria can be killed um, by cleaning and disinfecting um, and use of heat. Um, again, proper protective equipment. Um, keep your footwear, or your boots cleaned and disinfected, especially if you're in a barn or a birthing area, you know, not tracking that inside of your house and other areas, if you could take those off and clean those. Um, clean and disinfect pens where animals have birthed or aborted and keep other animals in the herd or flock away from those areas to protect them and keep disease down in that population, but also um, this was really interesting and I just bolded the whole thing. Reduction in human disease closely parallels reduction in animal disease. Um, so humans, again, that one health concept, as we take care to use those preventative measures, it's also um, trying to keep, keep and reduce um, disease down in animals that could, you know, just kind of keep that cycle going. So it's very important to know reduction in human, in human disease closely parallels reduction in animal disease. So it's good that we have those safe practices that um, when you're working with animals, uh, again, personal protective equipment, avoiding direct and bare uh, skin contact with fluid or, or organs from the animal, washing your hands as soon as possible with warm water um, for 20 seconds or more, and then cleaning and disinfecting all tools. All right, next on our list, leptospirosis. Uh, bacteria infection resulting from exposure of lesospheria enterogens bacterium. 
Um, it infects millions of people each year. Mild symptoms and sometimes serious influenza-like symptoms are very common, which is why it's very hard to detect and draw linkages because everything kind of feels like the flu. So fever, sweating, achiness. Um, and if the incubation period time is long enough, you may not even associate it with a, an exposure you had. Um, transmission generally occurs through urine of blood from an infected animal on damaged skin. So important for pro uh, personal protective equipment. Um, animals that would carry and transmit leptospirosis include dogs, rodents, cattle, horses, and pigs. Um, a common transmission route for humans is getting urine or blood from an infected animal or on damaged skin, so tiny cuts. Even a tiny skin abrasion can be enough for bacteria to get into the body. Leptospira bacteria can also enter the body through mu mucous membranes, those found in the eyes, um, nose, mouth, and even genitals. And then an infected animal is often symptom-free and can continue to excrete bacteria into the environment year after year. So even if it was an animal that wasn't sick or showing any symptoms, they could still through their um, urine and even blood, you know, have that uh, bacteria coming out into the environment and you could um, be exposed. So very important, again, just using prop, uh, personal protective equipment whenever you can, whenever you're dealing with your livestock. Again, occupational risk. Uh, this one did put farmers in the list, so I was happy to see that. So farmers, slaughterhouse workers, veterinarians, and animal caretakers, even fish workers, and our dairy farmers um, would be at risk uh, for this exposure. And again, symptoms, these are kind of common. It would be interesting to line them up side by side and see which ones have uh, very similar um, um, signs and symptoms because these, these, these are some repeat offenders. So high fever, headache, chills and muscle aches, vomiting, even jaundice, red eyes. Uh, this one comes with some abdominal pain if we hadn't seen that before, diarrhea and also a potential rash. Um, and it's, again, all of these are difficult to um, assess because the symptoms can be mistaken for other diseases. Um, some infected persons may have no symptoms at all. And look at this, the time between a person's exposure to a contaminated source and becoming sick could be between two days and four weeks. Um, so if you're, you're having busy lives and doing things on the farm, off the farm, um, and, and bearing, you know, wearing many hats and carry on very different roles, it would be hard to pinpoint what that exposure would be without some laboratory tests. Um, illness usually begins abruptly with a fever and some other symptoms. Um, and leptospirosis can occur in about two phases. The first phase is kind of that general fever, chills, headache, muscle aches, vomiting, or diarrhea. Um, the patient may recover for a time, but it, you could become ill again. And then in the second phase, it could become more severe. So kind of that recurrent phase, um, it could uh, lead to kidney or liver um, failure or even meningitis. Um, the illness can last a few days to about three weeks or longer, um, and without treatment, recovery may take up to several months. So this could put you off of your feet for quite a long period of time if it's not caught early. Um, so again, treatment, because it's bacterial, is going to be with antibiotics, um, doxycycline, and penicillin. Um, which should be given early in the course of disease if it's identified. Um, and also there may be times for more severe symptoms to deal with intravenous uh, antibiotics. Um, and then persons with symptoms suggestive of leptospirosis should contact a healthcare provider. Um, and I think we're gonna be looking at resources to, um, we, we have, uh, sorry, identified resources that could be shared. So you can talk with your healthcare provider about the type of work that you do and if you suspect um, any, any um, symptoms are zoonotic in nature. So again, for, pre uh, for prevention, I think one of the things I wanted to mention here with leptospirosis is that contaminated floodwaters are a very high risk source for infection of leptospirosis. Um, so this is why this mentions the risk of, um, can be greatly reduced by not swimming or wading in water, especially contaminated waters. So think anything like hurricanes, floods, um, we've just had so many flood events in the U.S. over the past 12 months. 
Um, and that's about to kind of pick up again in the in the south with hurricane season coming. So um, if you're, you know, around an animal population um, and, you know, emergency situations happen, but if at all, if you could have um, personal protective equipment available, that could tremendously reduce your risk because this is um, highly associated with uh, contaminated floodwaters. Um, so protective clothing or footwear should be worn um, if you're exposed to not only contaminated water, but also soil once that water begins to recede, um, that could be a, a huge risk. All right, we are moving fast and furious. So listeria is next on our list with listerosis. Um, this is an infection, again, commonly associated with eating contaminated food um, that's uh, uh, contaminated with the bacteria listeria monocytogens. So an estimated about 1,600 people get listerosis each year and about 260 die. So it's, it's fairly serious. Um, the infection, and this is what caught my attention, even though it was really talking about it from a, a food-borne illness perspective, you can also get access to this by working closely with animals. Um, and so that may or not have been known. Um, this infection is most likely to sicken pregnant women and their newborns. Um, so anyone with weakened immune systems are also in that category. So adults over 65 and people with weakened immune systems. So it's important to note um, this for uh, various different reasons. Um, what kind of foods are they associated with? Um, would be deli meats, pates, hot dogs, alfalfa and other sprouts, clover, radishes, um, bean sprouts, melons, um, smoked fish, and unpasteurized milk um, for food exposures. Um, direct contact, as I mentioned, with animals can spread the disease. And what would be those farm animals at risk for listeria? That would be your sheep, cattle, goats, and occasionally pigs. Um, so that's what we're talking about. Sheep, cattle, goats, and occasionally pen, uh, pigs could carry listeria. Um, the CDC estimates that listeria is the third leading cause of death from foodborne illness, food poisoning in the United States. Um, so again, this information was pulled from CDC and it's talking about foodborne contamination, but again, direct contact with those animals could lead to um, exposure. Um, other people infected with listeria um, can get sick, but rarely do they become seriously ill. So really looking at that population with compromised immune systems. Um, so here's just some facts I wanted to share around pregnant women with listeria. Uh, pregnant women are about 10 times more likely than other people to get listeria infections. So usually your provider would have probably mentioned about, you know, food and, and certain things to stay away from, but also just, again, letting those providers know what type of work that you do, that you work closely with your um, livestock on your operation. Um, pregnant and Hispanic women are another uh, marginalized population and they're about 24 times more likely than other people to get listeria. I found that very interesting. Um, pregnant women with listeria can pass an infection to their unborn babies. I believe that was one of your pre and post test questions. Um, and this infection is very serious and can cause miscarriages, stillbirths and preterm labor. So again, very important from exposure from eating as well as exposure from direct contact with those animals. Um, that infection can also cause um, serious illness and even death in newborn. So if your newborn is infected with that, um, that could be a, a severe um, outcome as well. So this is kind of on a, a top list uh, for pregnant women. Uh, again, signs and symptoms, it's a variety of them, depending on the person and the part of the body infected. Uh, again, the symptoms are kind of flu-like and well, not so much flu-like because there's a fever and then diarrhea um, associated with other foodborne germs, um, but it's, it's, rarely, it's hard to diagnose and it's rarely diagnosed. Um, symptoms in people with invasive listerosis mean the bacteria has spread beyond the gut, uh, depend on whether the person is pregnant. And I think that's why those risks increase so much with uh, a pregnant woman. Uh, pregnant women typically experience only fever and other flu-like symptoms such as fatigue and muscle aches. So how many of these diseases have we just talked about and those symptoms are fatigue, flu-like symptoms, mild symptoms. Um, so again, very hard to identify right off the bat. 
Infections during pregnancy can lead to miscarriage, again, stillborn or um, premature, premature delivery or life-threatening infection of the newborn. Um, people and other pregnant women, again, people other than pregnant women experience symptoms like headaches, stiff neck, confusion, loss of balance, convulsions, in addition to that fever and muscle aches. So all of these just have um, some pretty mild symptoms, so it might be hard to identify right off the bat. In terms of treatment with it being bacterial, um, you would uh, get assessed by test. Um, and, and it's looking at uh, listeria is usually diagnosed when a bacterial culture grows listeria monocytogens from the body tissue or fluid such as blood, spinal fluid, or placenta. Um, listerosis is treated with antibiotics um, being bacterial in nature. So prevention, because it was more associated with um, foodborne illness, um, it's, it's harmful germ that can hide in many foods. Um, outbreaks of listeria have happened, have been leaked to, again, deli meats and hot dogs, as mentioned before. Uh, listeria outbreaks are often linked to dairy products and produce. Uh, investigations have traced recent outbreaks to soft cheeses, celery, sprouts, cantaloupe, and ice cream. But this is kind of talking about the, the foodborne exposures. In terms of occupational exposures, the same thing. If you're working directly and closely with those animals, um, personal protective equipment from head to toe. So thinking about goggles, thinking about rubber or disposable gloves, um, aprons, um, you know, to kind of cover yourself when you're working with those animals. And then washing your hands uh, immediately for 20 seconds or more with soap and water and then um, disinfecting any tools and areas that have been exposed to those. All right, Q fever. Um, this was definitely one of the common targets for um, reproductive health. So this disease is caused by Coxilla brunetti. Um, this bacteria naturally infects some animals. So we're talking about exposure through goats, sheep, and cattle. Um, C. brunetti bacteria are found in the birth products, so placenta, amniotic fluid, urine, feces, and milk of infected animals. So people can get infected by breathing in dust that has been contaminated by infected animal feces, urine, milk, or, and or birth products that get into the soil, dry up, and become aer aerosolized. Um, some people never get sick. However, those who do develop what? Flu-like symptoms, including fever, chills, fatigue, and muscle, muscle pains. Um, certain professions have an increased risk for exposure to C. brunetti, including veterinarians, meat processing, plant workers, dairy workers, livestock farmers, and then researchers housing sheep and goats. So very common with uh, sheep, goats, and cattle. So again, it causes flu-like symptoms um, caused by the Coxella brunetti uh, bacteria. Goats, sheep, cows, and other mammals, uh, animals can carry the germ. Animals spread the germ when they give birth. Um, people who help animals give birth, such as farmers or veterinarians, have a higher chance of getting Q fever. So again, working closely with those animals are associated with um, higher risk of exposure. But also this is interesting because um, it could dry up in the soil, if you will, and wind can carry barnyard dust mixed with Q fever germs for miles. Um, and you can get sick if you breathe in that dust, even if you aren't around those animals. So that's what's a little bit different here with Q fever. Um, so here are the signs and symptoms, a lot of common uh, things, fevers, chills, sweats, fatigue, muscle aches, um, vomiting and diarrhea, stomach pain, um, maybe even a non-productive cough, chest pain, stomach pain. Um, illness typically takes between two and three weeks after exposure. Again, it might be hard to pinpoint when that was. Symptoms can be mild or severe. And again, specifically for women who are infected during pregnancy, um, maybe at risk for miscarriage, stillbirth, preterm delivery, or low infant birth weight, um, because it is, um, kind of, you know, one of those high risk conditions for women. Um, just some additional facts, about five out of 10 people infected with uh, C. brunetti will get sick. It develops in about two to three weeks after being exposed. Um, we talked about signs and symptoms. And then there's also something with chronic Q, Q fever, a very small percentage, less than five out of, less than 5% 
um, who become infected uh, will develop more serious infection called a chronic Q fever. And that could develop months or even years after the initial infection. So something that's actually long-term and recurrent um, is possible and it could lead to things like endocarditis. Um, so you might, long-term effects would be like night sweats, fatigue, or even shortness of breath, um, weight loss and swelling of limbs. Um, so a series of tests uh, would be needed to diagnose both endocarditis as well as a chronic Q fever. Um, treatment, uh, most people who are sick with Q fever will recover without antibiotic treatment. Um, for people who develop the Q fever disease, uh, treatment uh, with two weeks of uh, antibiotics is recommended. And this is kind of talking more about the long-term effects of chronic Q fever um, that could require months of antibiotic treatment. And it's treated with a combination of antibiotics um, for several months because it um, could be, you know, long-term and reoccurring there. Um, vaccines are not available in the United States for Q fever. Um, to reduce your risk, um, main guidance is avoiding contact with animals, especially while animals are given birth. Again, if that's an option, sometimes that isn't. Animals can be infected with uh, Coxilla brunetti and appear healthy. So even though they're looking healthy, they could be um, sick. Do not consume raw milk or raw milk products in terms of you know, the foodborne illness aspects of it. And if you have been diagnosed with Q fever and have a history of heart valve disease, blood vessel abnormalities, or a weakened immune system or are pregnant, you wanna to talk to your healthcare provider about your risk for developing chronic Q fever. So if you do have an initial diagnosis talk about those concerns for long-term and recurrent care and see if that could be treated. Um, occupational prevention, um, personal protective equipment, wear eye protection, rubber or latex gloves, avoid direct uh, contact with fluids, wash your hands, clean and disinfect all tools and spaces. All right, and then toxoplasmosis. Um, this is again associated heavily with foodborne illness, but it is exposure for um, working closely um, with animals. Um, toxoplasmosis is considered to be a leading cause of death um, uh, to foodborne illness in the United States. More than 40 million men, women, and children carry toxoplasma parasite, but very few have symptoms because the immune system usually keeps the parasite from causing illness. However, the, again, pregnancy changes your immune system. Women um, newly infected with toxoplasma during or shortly before pregnancy, um, and anyone with compromised immune system should be aware that toxoplasmosis can have severe consequences. Um, it's considered one of the neglected parasitic infections of the United States, um, which is a group of five parasitic diseases that have been targeted by the CDC for public health action. So again, these kind of fly under the radar, but can have very severe consequences, especially for pregnant women. So how do you get exposed? Again, it's highly associated with a foodborne illness. So eating undercooked contaminated meat, uh, such as pork, lamb, and venison, or shellfish, oysters, clams, or mussels, Accidental ingestion of undercooked or contaminated meat or shellfish after handling them and not washing hands. So that hand washing is, is important with food pre preparation as well. Eating food that was contaminated um, by knives, utensils, and cutting boards. Um, drinking water contaminated with Toxoplasma gondii, um, which causes uh, toxoplasmosis. Um, accidentally swallowing the parasite through contact with cat feces. So that's why you hear a lot about cleaning uh, cat litter boxes during pregnancy. Uh, you want to avoid it if, if at all possible. Uh, cleaning a cat's litter box um, that has shedded in its feces. Um, and I think it was something interesting about the rate in which you're cleaning the feces. I think it develops after a certain period of time. So the sooner you clean that cat litter box out, the better versus leaving it and letting that um, parasite kind of grow and spread. Uh, touching or ingesting anything that has come into contact with cat feces, um, accidentally ingesting contaminated soil. So let's say if you don't wash your hands after gardening or eating unwashed fruits or vegetables from a garden could be an exposure point. Um, and then there's mother to child transmission as well. 
uh, receiving infected, uh, this is kind of an organ transplant from infected uh, blood via transfusion. And this is very, very rare. But these are, excuse me, all listed on the CDC website for um, exposure and transmission. Signs and symptoms, most have no symptoms at all. Some people who have toxoplasmosis may feel that they have the flu with swollen lymph glands or muscle aches and pains. We have heard that before, haven't we? Um, severe toxoplasmosis causing damage to the brain, eyes, and other organs can develop from an acute infection. Um, most infants who are infected while still in womb have no symptoms at birth, but they may develop symptoms later in life. And a small percentage of infected newborns has serious eye or brain damage at birth. So again, you've probably heard that cat litter box reference with staying away from it um, when you're pregnant. So what does treatment entail? Talking to your healthcare provider. Um, they would order a variety of blood tests specific for toxoplasmosis. Um, the results from the different tests will um, determine if you have toxoplasma gondii, um, uh, which infection, whether it's a recent or acute infection. Um, once diagnosed, your healthcare provider will discuss treatment. Um, in an otherwise healthy pregnant person who is not pregnant, tre treatment is usually not needed. Uh, if symptoms occur, the, they typically go away within a few weeks to months. For pregnant women or persons who have, again, those weakened immune systems, medications are available to treat, um, although they didn't list what those medications were. Um, so prevention, again, it talks about it from a food preparation and foodborne illness perspective. So cooking food to safe temperatures um, for your meat, your poultry um, products, um, Peeling or washing your fruits and vegetables thoroughly before eating and washing your hands. Do not eat raw or undercooked uh, shellfish items. Do not drink unpasteurized goat's milk. Um, for toxoplasmosis, this is one that does transmit through goat's milk. Um, washing uh, cutting boards, tools, utensils with hot soapy water after um, you know, contact with raw meat, poultry, seafood, unwashed fruits or vegetables. Uh, wearing gloves when gardening during contact with soil and sand um, because it could be contaminated with cat feces. Um, again, washing hands uh, after gardening or contact with soil or sand. Uh, and sure, here it is. Ensure that the cat litter box is changed daily. Toxoplasma parasite does not become infectious until one to five days after it's shed in the cat's feces. So again, that's when that cleaning sooner than, you know, not letting that linger. Um, is a safety issue. Uh, wash hands with soap and water after cleaning the cat box and you know, teaching children and those around you the importance of washing hands to prevent infection. Um, very common there. And then occupational uh, prevention. Um, this is more so because it was associated with food. This is actually misplaced because it was associated with foodborne illness. Um, and, and really cat feces. Uh, all right, so here we're wrapping it up towards the end. I think I have oh, only five minutes left. So in five minutes or less, the importance of hand washing. We have mentioned it at least four, maybe five times, but it's the best ways to protect yourself and your family from getting sick. Um, this lists key times to wash hands pretty much all the time. Anytime you're definitely touching an animal, animal feed or animal waste. Um, before and eating food, before, during, and after food preparation. Um, we kind of know that, and we have heard that in this pandemic year about the importance of hand washing. Um, and so we just want to kind of keep that front and center as well as using personal protective equipment when you're working with livestock and animals. Um, here are some resources. Um, our reproductive health resource, which kind of started our journey in this reproductive health space. Um, and zoonotic disease was just one of those categories we quickly mentioned and flew through. So we spent a little more time there, but it just talks about some other exposures, um, common exposures um, for women in ag. And then this uh, talks about personal protective equipment, working with pesticides. You'll see a lot of overlap between some of the things we talked today, um, as well as pesticide exposure. Um, you wanna be sure that you're prepared to handle and deal with those things that you're having to deal with. Uh, we have a women's health resource, Take Charge of Your Health, that really talks about gender differences and work-related injuries. Um, and so this gives a description, exposure risk, um, 
uh, health and safety issues uh, for women to consider as well as prevention strategies. So that's a tool that we should have shared with you as well today. And then last but not least, this is a four page booklet that talks about zoonotic disease in agriculture. And it mentions a lot of the things we ran through today, type of exposure, the type of germ that transmits some of the common signs and symptoms and what you should do. Um, so that's just a great tool to kind of have close at hand if you're working closely with livestock. Um, because this was sponsored by OSHA, we do want you to know that you have a right to a safe and healthy work environment, and there is a whistle protective, um, whistleblower protection program. You have the right to report if your workplace is unsafe, um, to know what those rights are, a right to file a complaint, and to contact OSHA with any of those concerns. Um, and you have a right to actually do that safely without retalia retaliation. Um, also, here is your list of employer rights, employee rights and responsibilities. So a safe and helpful workplace, knowing about your hazards, um, complaining or requested a hazard correction from employer, training about those said hazards like ones today, um, accessing hazard exposure and medical records, and then to file a complaint. Um, and participate in the OSHA inspection. It always doesn't have to be... Um, um, something that is uh, a penalty. It could be, you know, something that you could do in advance and getting ahead of some hazards and safety concerns on your operation. And then stay connected with us. Uh, we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and other spaces. Um, feel free to follow us at AgriSafe Network uh, to stay connected. This is my contact information, my little nephew there. He's about three years old now, but um, this is why I'm so passionate about this topic. Um, seeing kids healthy, no matter where they are, where the environment they're growing up in is, is very important. And then uh, last but not least, I could not do it without this wonderful team of women here, very passionate about the work we do here at AgriSafe. And um, we do a lot of team-based projects to get safety and health information out to our our public who's working in this space. So thank you so much for your time. And I've also included references uh, for the different topics that I spoke of on today's presentation. So yeah, and I knew this was long. It might be a way to kind of refine and condense some of it, but we did cover a lot. And honorable mentions here are going to be uh, influenza um, from bird and swine flu, and then uh, Zika. I didn't get to mention Zika. So these are, again, um, issues that could impact women that could be zoonotic in nature as well. So oops, that's my alarm saying, hey, time's up. This is, again, our new topic, and uh, we might rework it to make it more timely so we could leave. So I hope you've enjoyed, and I hope this has been helpful and enlightening to you all. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the AgriSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. You can learn more about the AgriSafe Network at agrisafe.org, and be sure to check out the Learning Lab and all of the excellent resources available on the site. You can also find us on Facebook or contact us anytime at info at agrisafe.org.